0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to, if you're joining us on Facebook Live, it's great to have you with us. I was reading an article recently in Outreach Magazine, and what the article said was that between 2018 and 2020, okay, in that span of time, there is an unprecedented 20 superhero movies that are expected to hit movie theaters. 20. 20 20 superhero movies are expected to hit movie theaters. And uh, just so you know, um, first service, I was not aware that our tech team had had some fun with, um, with uh, apparently um, some sort of Photoshop app or something. And so there's somebody who doesn't quite belong in this. And so literally, I was, I was this picture pops up behind me. I'm talking and people are laughing. I'm like, what is so funny? So I stopped and, tra- and it took me a minute to even figure it out. So God bless you, Corey and, um, and Brad Vanderson for doing that. And you guys will pay on Monday. But uh, for that... With that being said, 20 superhero movies between 2018 and 2020. Uh, So we love, in case you haven't been paying attention, we love superheroes. Superhero movies are on the increase, and and we love the characters in Black Panther and Wonder Woman and The Avengers. In fact, I have four boys, and they love these movies. I think I saw Black Panther in the movie theater three times, actually. It was just that, that big of a deal. And so I don't know about you, maybe I'm just a little bit weird, but when I've noticed something like that in our world, I ask the question, why? Why are we so obsessed with superheroes? Why is that something that we're just so incredibly enamored with? Um, and so if, if you're studying that or if you're interested in that, basically we believe that superheroes really kind of began right at the beginning of World War II, And so our country had this very defined enemy that we were all kind of united against with the Nazis, right? And so, in fact, do you know, anybody know the actual first superhero that Marvel ever released? Anybody know who it was? It was Captain America. That's right. Captain America was actually the first of the superheroes Marvel ever released, And so then if you trace that, the superheroes boomed for a while. And then there were a couple decades where they went down and we weren't paying attention anymore. And then the recent watershed moment that began all the growth of superheroes again was in 2002, Spider-Man came out. Remember that movie? And 2002, it was a year after 9-11 had happened. So once again, we were feeling united and threatened against like a common enemy. And so we long for heroes with supernatural power. We want that. There's something in us that looks for that. We long for these heroes with supernatural power, and I would argue it's because we're hardwired to. There's something in us that's, that wants that and that's desperate for that. So we're in week number two of a series we're calling Ghost Stories. If you're just joining us, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and also called the Holy Ghost sometimes. And so uh, if you were with us last week, we talked about how Jesus says, I'm going away to the Father after my resurrection, but I'm going to send another one, another advocate, another meaning the same as me, not different than me, and it's the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus actually promises supernatural power to his followers. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you may not feel like a superhero, but God has promised you supernatural power. So let's jump into this. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is a story of the Holy Spirit coming and igniting the church, and it's the story of how God moved through that. And so these, according to the gospel writer Luke, these are Jesus' last words that he spoke to his disciples before returning to the Father. And this is what he says to them. He says, but you will receive what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea. In Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so so Jesus literally says he's promising power. God wants to give you supernatural power in your life, which sounds awesome, right? But here's the catch here's the thing you need to understand it's power for a purpose. It's not just power so you can be awesome and do awesome things and look cool. It's power for a specific purpose. And the purpose is you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me everywhere, starting in Jerusalem, then going to Judea, and then going to the ends of the earth. It's power for for the purposes of God. So if you're taking notes, uh, maybe write this down. You can't accomplish God's purposes in your own power. You can't. God has a purpose for your life, and His purposes for your life are so big and so grand, you can't possibly accomplish those purposes in your own power. But God will not lend you His power for your purposes. You can't accomplish what God has dreamed for you, His purposes for your life, without His power. If you could, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, right? Right? But at the same time, God will not lend you his power for your purposes. It has to be his His power granted for his purposes. And that's the key we've got to understand to unlocking what God wants to do in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do today is I want to begin by just talking about our motives, the condition of our hearts when we ask for the Holy Spirit. I just want to explore why do we want the Holy Spirit? Why do we want the Holy Spirit in our lives? What are our motives? What, what is it that we're actually wanting when we ask for that? So I want to take you into the story in the book of Acts, essentially from Acts 1 where Jesus says, uh, you're going to receive power, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. By Acts chapter 8, they're in Samaria. <laughs> they've, they've arrived in Samaria. They're fulfilling exactly what Jesus said they were going to do in Acts 1. And in Samaria, as they're going through the, the apostles' The disciples are preaching about the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is moving, people are being healed, and all these incredible things are happening, and then they meet a weird guy named Simon, and here's what happens. Verse 9, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Skip to verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said will not happen to me. Okay, so Simon wants the Holy Spirit. It's not a bad thing at all, right? He he wants the Holy Spirit in his life. If you were with us last week, we talked about what it means to to repent of your sins, to make Jesus Lord of of your life, get baptized, and, and then ask for the Holy Spirit. And he'll grant it to you if you ask. In fact, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, if you surrender your life to Jesus, you are actually asking for something that he's promised to give you. It's not like if you pray that God will give you an extra chicken McNugget in your Happy Meal or something like that, something he hasn't actually promised. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, you're actually asking for something that he promised to give you, and he will do it. He will be faithful to do that. But but what's the condition of our hearts? What's happening here is Simon, he's this sorcerer, he's this well-known guy, he wants the Holy Spirit for his own purposes. He wants the Holy Spirit so he can look good, so that he can ask God to further his agenda. He can't possibly do what the apostles are doing. He can't possibly fulfill the purposes on his life without the power of the Holy Spirit. He recognizes that, but God is not going to lend any of us his power just so we can accomplish our purposes and what we want. And so maybe the place to begin this morning is just to begin exactly the way Peter instructed Simon with repentance. Just begin by saying, God, forgive me. I repent of the ways I've wanted the Holy Spirit for my purposes, Forgive me, God, for the ways I've asked you for your power in my life to make me look better, to accomplish my agenda. We've we've all done that, right? God, would you further my agenda? Would you give me power to, instead of saying, God, would you align me with what you want? So instead of asking the question, what can the Holy Spirit do for me? What can the Holy Spirit give me? What's the superpower the Holy Spirit can give me? Instead, let's let's turn this and ask a much better question, and, and that's, what did God give the Holy Spirit to the church for? Or, or why did God want the Holy Spirit for the church? That's the better question. Because he gave the Holy Spirit to the church for his purposes. So why, why did God want the Holy Spirit for the church? Two things. First one, for the good of the church. For the good of the church. This is so clear in scriptures that God gave the Holy Spirit for the good of the church. The idea of spiritual gifts is talked about several points in the New Testament by Paul, by the writer Paul. And so uh, one of those places is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's writing to this church in Corinth and he's speaking about the gifts of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he says this, "'There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men.'" Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That last sentence is really key. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So so what that's saying is the Holy Spirit has given you a supernatural ability to serve God and to serve others in the church for the good of the church. God has, has poured out His Holy... If you're filled with the Holy Spirit... God has given a manifestation of His Spirit in your life, a gift of the Holy Spirit for you to use, and the whole purpose of it is to build up the church and to build others up, to serve Him and to serve others in the church. And so, in fact, if you want to, you can go and read in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a long list of uh, several examples of those gifts, those manifestations of the Spirit that God gives. And so, here's the truth. The, the church today, if you look at the church in America today, Basically, what we've kind of turned church into is we've turned it into a situation where there's a bunch of nameless faces in a crowd gathered around a speaker, right? I mean, that's what we've done with church. That's what church is. It's, it's a bunch of people who come and they listen to a speaker who's maybe giving, using their gifts of the Holy Spirit while everybody else just listens, and that's not altogether bad, But if you really look at what God designed the church to be, what the church is supposed to be is men and women who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and who are operating in their area of giftedness and they're building up the church, they're serving God and serving others and the church is being driven forward by them. That's the biblical vision. That's God's vision for the church and what we're called to be. So that's what we need. We need more of us to step into and begin to understand when we surrender our lives and we ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, He wants to use us in a mighty way to build up the church, to serve each other. And that's what the church, that's the the driver of the church. That's the engine that runs it all. I've said this before. In the church, we really don't have a volunteer problem. We have a discovery problem. What I mean by that is, you know, we're always asking for volunteers, right? Oh, we need more volunteers for the children's ministry or for the worship ministry or whatever it is. We need more volunteers. The church is a volunteer-run organization. That's what it is. So we need volunteers. But, But on a spiritual level, if you really understand it, really it's not a volunteer need that we have. What we really need is people, men and women, to discover the way that God has uniquely wired them and to understand the gifts that God has placed in them and to begin operating in those gifts and so the church grows from that. The church, you know, is built up when people do that. It's not a volunteer problem so much as it is a discovery problem that we need to solve in the church. If you look in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, just to kind of give you a little bit of the story underneath it, Paul's talking about the manifestation of the, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you go forward two chapters to 1 Corinthians 14, he begins to address what's happening in the church in Corinth. And essentially what's happened is these people are are being filled with the Holy Spirit and they're really enjoying it, but their hearts somehow, the condition of their hearts, their motives have sort of gotten twisted a little bit. And it just turned a little bit in the wrong direction. And so what's happening is they're, they're basically using these gifts to build themselves up, to make themselves look good. And it's about this hierarchy of you have this gift, you're more important than this person who has this gift. And, and especially over the, the issue of tongues, they're arguing disagreeing about tongues and, and people are kind of using those gifts for their own means. And so Paul begins to address that in 1 Corinthians 14. And he makes this statement, which I think is such a foundational statement. In verse 26, he says, everything that is done must strengthen all of you that's the guiding principle that's the guiding idea the holy spirit is given and what's been what's being done in the church must strengthen all of you it's for the good of the church it's to build up the church that's why the holy spirit is given I'll give you an example of this from my own life just how i've seen it happen uh this would have been like three or four years ago maybe it was an easter service here at frontline and Easter uh sundays are kind of big around here and and uh we uh, prepare for those in advance. Easter is when people come out of the woodwork to come to church on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday. They're either invited by a friend or, or they're a family member of somebody who comes here, or some of them are just people who wake up that morning and go, well, it's Easter. I guess I should go to church. That's what I should do, even though they don't really go to church. And so they show up. And so I remember it was, um, it was an Easter Sunday, and I was standing right here. I was preaching here at Frontline, and I had my message notes, right, like I do, like you see I do, and I, I had them down. I mean, on Easter Sunday, you, you know your notes. You've got it down. And as I was preaching, I remember I, I, was, I was standing here talking and I came over to this side of the room and there was a lady, I'm not meaning to be weird here, but there was a lady about on this section all the way back, kind of um, maybe three, four rows from the back. And as I came over here, I made eye contact with her as I was talking. And in that moment when I made eye contact with her, I, I heard the Holy Spirit, not in an audible voice, not in anything weird like that, but the word I heard in my mind as I was preaching was the word abortion. I make eye contact with this lady. I just hear the word abortion. And I just keep preaching. And I, you know, I, I walk back over here. I'm talking to these guys, over here, you, know, to you guys over here for a while. And then I come back eventually in the message over to this side of the room. I, same thing happened. I make eye contact with this lady. And even stronger this time, I just hear the word abortion. That's what I hear. And I'm looking right at her. And at this second time, I happened to be at a point in the message where I was talking about grace. I was talking about the resurrection story, and I I was was talking about how Jesus was given uh, as an act of God, a sacrifice poured out for our sins. And his resurrection means that God doesn't hold our sins against us, and that he has the power to overcome any sin, any brokenness, any shame in our lives, and that eternity is ours if we can trust our lives in Jesus. I'm at that point in the sermon, and I I remember making eye contact where I just heard the word abortion. And this wasn't in my notes at all, but I I, I just said something to the effect of, Maybe you haven't been in church in a long time. Maybe you, you felt like you just couldn't walk in the doors of a church. And then I just said, maybe you had an abortion. And I'm looking right around. I said, maybe you've had an abortion. And you just have assumed that God wanted nothing to do with you. That was an unforgivable thing. And that basically you had no right or no business being in church again. And you need to know that God sees you where you are. God loves you. And Jesus died and rose again to give you new life too, even to miss it. And I'll, I'll never forget, this lady literally just put her head down and just began to sob, just began to weep. I mean, I could see like her shoulders just shaking. She just began to weep uncontrollably. We got to the, the end of the message. We had this time where people could stand up, you know, and, and um, you know, declare that they made a decision to put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And I remember she was the first person up in the room, just arms up, just bawling her eyes out. It's an amazing moment. I'd never seen this lady before in my life. That wasn't in my notes at all. Here's why I tell you that. I tell you that because that moment was not about me. It had nothing to do with me. That moment was about what God wanted to do for her in her life. You get that? God didn't do that in a moment so I could have a really cool story to stand up here and share with you. He, he did that because he saw his daughter that he dearly loved who was so broken and so far from him, and he wanted to, to say something to her. That's what it was for. That, that's how the Holy Spirit works. He gives us manifestations of the Spirit. He works in our lives to fulfill his purposes in our life. It's for the good of the church. It's for the good of others. It's never just to make me look good. And that's how you can spot a lot of times when it's something other than the Holy Spirit. Let's begin, what, what place do people give the Holy Spirit in their lives Is it about my own glory or is it about what God wants to do for others in the church? He's given you a part to play. You can't accomplish his purposes without his power. And he won't lend you his power for your purposes. Do you know what part it is that he's called you to play? Do you know what gift the Holy Spirit has placed inside of you and that he wants you to begin leaning into and operating in through his power? The second thing, the first thing, why did God give the Holy Spirit for the church? It was for the good of the church. The second reason God gave the Holy Spirit for the church is to bring glory to Jesus. To bring glory to Jesus, just simply put. Here's here's the truth of it. You honestly, you really don't need the Holy Spirit. If all you're looking to do is just to live a semi-normal, you know, moral life like, I'm going to try to live as morally in my own power. Remember the, 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 the socket that was plugged back into itself from last week? If you're just seeking to live a, a semi-moral life in your own strength and your own power, and you're just seeking to kind of attend church once in a while and read the Bible whenever the mood hits you, you really don't need the Holy Spirit. In fact, millions of people in all different kinds of religions do that every single week without the Holy Spirit. They attend church and they just try in their own strength to live a moral life. You really don't need the Holy Spirit if that's all you're trying to do. But if you want to actually bring glory to Jesus through your life, and if you want to actually step into the purpose that he has for your life, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You're desperate for the Holy Spirit. You you depend on the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without him. But the Holy Spirit is always given to bring glory to Jesus. This is John 16, verse 14. Jesus, we looked at this uh, passage of scripture last week. As he's talking with his disciples, Jesus says, he, the Holy Spirit, will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. You know what a picture I get in my head every time I read that verse, and I, I get this sort of visual picture of like Jesus whispering in the ear of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit whispering in our ear. That's the. I don't know if that's actually the way it happens at all, but that's the image I get in my head. It's like Jesus saying, look, whatever I tell the Holy Spirit, he's going to whisper in your ear, your ear, and the whole point is to bring glory and honor to me. By the way, that's not egotistic if you're God, okay? If you're God, if you are the creator of the universe, it is all about you. It's completely appropriate for you to bring, for everything to bring you glory. That's how it's supposed to be. It's only egotistical if it's any of us, you know, trying to, to bring glory and honor to ourselves. That's what, what the Holy Spirit does. He brings glory to Jesus. You see this over and over again in the book of Acts, how the Holy Spirit is given to make the disciples step forward in boldness in in order to actually bring more glory and honor to Jesus. One of my favorite stories in Acts chapter 4, what's happening is, you know, Jesus said, you'll receive power, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, they're still in Jerusalem and Judea. And what's happening is Peter and John are arrested by the Jewish council, the Jewish council isn't very happy that all these miracles are happening and the Holy Spirit is being poured out on people and people are coming to Jesus and they're preaching in the name of Jesus at the temple and all these places and so they're arrested by the Jewish council, they're held, they're held overnight in jail and then uh, they're released but they're, t- they're threatened, they're told if you keep preaching in the name of Jesus, we're going to kill you, your life is going to be over. And so what happens is Peter and John leave and they go back and they gather together with the rest of the church, with the rest of the believers, and they begin to have a prayer meeting and pray together. Now, if that were me, if I had been arrested and held in jail, and then my life had been threatened and we're going to kill you if you keep preaching in the name of Jesus. Uh, When I gathered together with my church and we had a prayer meeting, my prayers would be for safety. God, please grant us safety. Some traveling mercies right here, that would be great. It's a hedge of protection around us. That's what I would pray for. Isn't that what you would pray? I would pray, God, give us more safety. God, protect us from these threats, from these things that are happening. I want you to look at verse 29. This is the prayer that Peter and John pray right after getting out of prison when they gather together with the believers. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's their prayer. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, then, wasn't in their own strength, wasn't in their own power. It was then, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, then they preached the word of God with great boldness. Literally, they gathered together. Instead of praying for safety, instead of praying for protection, they actually asked God and pray for boldness. Would you give us more boldness to be able to proclaim the Holy Spirit? You know who prays for boldness? People who are not bold. That's who. You don't pray for boldness if you're bold. You don't pray that God would help you overcome your fear if you're not afraid. They were asking God to fill in what was lacking in them because they had a desire to bring glory to Jesus and that was greater than any fear of safety that they had for themselves. And they pray for more boldness. And when they do, the place shakes, the Holy Spirit moves, and they're filled with what they need. It wasn't them because, just because they were such bold people. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and preached the word of God with great boldness. That's what I long for. Isn't that what you long for? I said it last week. I long for Frontline to be the kind of place where we don't quench the working of the Spirit by making it safe to follow Jesus. I pray that we would be the kind of church where we pray for more and more boldness. That God would just make us more bold to actually step in and to live what he has called us to live. I just believe he has more for us He has more he wants to do in our church and in our individual lives if we're willing to just step forward. I long for the day when what we're hearing and what we're telling all the time are just stories of how the Holy Spirit is working and stirring in people's lives and they're stepping out in boldness and they're seeing God move in their lives. That's the engine that's supposed to be driving the church, not our next great, cool ministry program, but the work of the Holy Spirit. More boldness, God, give us more boldness. In the church, we don't have a safety problem. We have a boldness problem. You can't make it safe enough to follow Jesus. You can't make it comfortable enough for people to take a step. It has to be something that we begin to ask God and pray for boldness, pray that he would change our mentality. And then when he does, he gives us what we need. It was uh, the year 2015, um, which I was in the midst of what I would call the worst year of my life. Uh, so many things happened in the course of, of, of several months in that year. Uh, but I was in this season, I had been diagnosed with cancer, and I had just completed um, radiation therapy, first round uh, radiation therapy. And they, um, basically I was in this six-month window where uh, I had to wait. They couldn't tell me what stage the cancer was in for six months. And so I had all these question marks and these unknowns. We had to wait for a period of time and then do tests again. And, and so I didn't know what stage it was in. Depending on what stage it was in, it might mean that I had to step back from church. I might have had to you know, make some major changes in my life. I just didn't know. I, everything was unknown. And uh, honestly, it was one of the darkest periods of my life. And God used an event, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me through an event during that time, during that That season of my life that just changed my perspective and the way I thought. I've shared this with you once before, but the way it happened was this: my wife and my youngest son were home one morning at the house we lived in at the time. John, our youngest, was seven at the time, and so they're in the kitchen. And Carrie is busy making breakfast or doing whatever it is. And John she said, John just went and just stood at the window, and he was just looking out the window. And finally, after a little while, he says, Hey mom. There's a bald eagle in our driveway. And she says, that's nice, honey. And she just continued to go about, you know, making breakfast, whatever. Because bald eagles do not land in people's driveways. That, that, isn't, that doesn't happen. Especially it does not happen at my house. <laughs> that does not happen. And so she went on and she said, John just stood there for a couple more minutes. And finally he said, Mom, there's this huge bald eagle in our driveway. And again, she says, that's great, honey. And finally a couple of minutes later he gets more urgent he says mom come over here and look there is a bald eagle that's sitting in our driveway so she you know puts down whatever she's doing she walks over she looks out the window and she says she gasps sure enough there's this huge bald eagle that's just standing in our driveway it's just there And it's been there for several minutes. And so immediately she goes, I gotta get the phone and and I gotta take a picture. And she said, just like you expect it to happen. As soon as she grabs the phone, the thing spreads its huge wings and just begins to fly away. So when I got home that night, she was telling me about what had happened. She shows me this picture she got. It's literally of it like way off in some tree somewhere, like way away. It's this terrible picture. But she's like, this thing was right, right there in our driveway, just feet away from our house. When she told me about this and she was just, you know, this amazing, miraculous thing and how she didn't even believe it when John was telling her, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment. It just, just like that. Just, and I felt like what the Holy Spirit said to me was, Brian, when did the driveway stop having eagles for you? See, I, I used to have childlike faith. I used to believe God would do these big things. I used to believe in the miraculous, but I got sophisticated. That's what happened. I went to Bible school, and I learned things about what God does and what God does not do and how he works and how he does not work and all the boxes that it works in. And I learned that bald eagles do not land in people's driveways. And especially bald eagles especially do not land in my driveway. Maybe that, maybe that happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me People don't just get miraculously healed from cancer. People don't have miraculous provision that God provides for their needs. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. certainly doesn't happen to me. And what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me in that moment was, Ryan, when did you decide that those things were not for you? Because I didn't decide that for you. When did you decide for yourself that my power was not available to you Then that way. I began to pray differently after that day. I'm not kidding you. I, I thought about that stupid bird for weeks. I journaled about it. And I, I just began to pray differently. And, sh- and absolutely, I began to pray that, that God would allow me not to die. I prayed that. But even more than that, I began to ch- change my prayers. I began to pray, God, would you help me to really live Would you help me to really live? Would you help me to really, with whatever I've got left, bring glory to you with every single thing that I do? Would you help me to run and not just walk with the things you've granted in my life? Would you help me to live? Cancer may define someday the way that I die. It very well may, but it will never define the way that I live. It can't. Here's why I tell you that story. Because some of you I believe, have some eagles in your driveway that you're not paying any attention to. God wants to do more for you. He looks and he sees you, his beloved son, his beloved daughter, and he wants to give you his power. He wants to call you into your purpose for life. And you can't accomplish his purposes for your life without him, without his power. And he will not lend you his power so that you can accomplish your purposes. some of you just believe you've gotten all sophisticated and you believe those things don't happen or at least they don't happen to me. I'm here this morning to ask you, when did you decide that his power wasn't for you? When did you decide that he couldn't do those things in your life because he did not decide that for you? Somewhere along the line, you decided that. But you've got to want it. You've got to ask for it. You've got, you've got to say, God, help me to stop playing it safe. Help me to stop asking you to make me look good. But God, would you give me boldness? Would you give me power from your Holy Spirit to live the life that you've called me to live? Not a life that's just seeking to avoid death, but a life that's seeking to actually live and, and experience the fullness of what you have for me. And he'll do it. Would you stand with us? Um, I'd love to just offer a prayer. Jesus, as we come into your presence, even in this moment, God, uh, we're very aware. God, maybe the, the way we need to start, the way we need to confess even in this moment is just we recognize, God, that there's more. Maybe that hasn't been our posture. Maybe we've, we've, we've made faith something so sophisticated and so explainable and so logical that, uh, that we were missing some eagles in our driveway. And so this morning, God, we just confess and we recognize your power is for us. It's for the good of the church. It's to bring glory to you. And you want to give us that power. And so this morning, God, we come before you. We're desperate for you. We're, we're recognizing that we're dependent on you and your power in our lives to do what you've called us to do. So God, I pray that you would just begin, Holy Spirit, would you just begin to move? Would a wind of your spirit begin to blow through our church? That we would be filled with boldness. We're we're not asking for boldness because we're such awesome, brave people. We're asking for boldness because we're scared and we don't know how to do it. And we don't have within ourselves what it takes to be bold. Would you fill us up? Would you fill the lack of what we have, God? Would you fill up our need with your power and your goodness? And God, would we be a light in the darkness? Would we be people men and women who testify to the stories of what you've done in our lives? Would would we be people who give glory to you for the way your Holy Spirit continues to work and to operate in in the areas that you've gifted us? God, we want this. We want to be a part of that. So would you do it, God? And as you do it, what, what we commit to you, even in this moment, is God, we will give you all the glory and all the honor. Jesus, it's all for you. It's all due you. It's in Jesus' name, everybody said.